Uh, and now we're going to the private equity panel. I'd like to ask Greg Chase from Reed Smith to guide us through. Uh, we have five, uh, you know, uh, five panelists, four of them from the private equity side and one who is uh, a company that uh, has used private equity. So, uh, Greg, if I can have you uh, lead this off. And by the way, uh, while they are coming to the panel, uh, I think Hamish's point is very interesting about the compliance. I don't know if everyone or how many people recognize the amount of compliance that every shipping company has to do uh, from every kind of, uh, from every operation that it has, crewing, environmental, all sorts of stuff, port papers. So, Greg, if I can speed this up. Okay. So we have four private equity companies and one um, company that has actually used private equity to build its fleet, good bulk. So. You can be here or there, whatever you like. Well, good afternoon. Uh, thanks, everybody, for coming. My name is Greg Chase. I'm a partner in the New York office of Reed Smith. Uh, we are very active, I'd say extremely active, in acting for funds and a variety of investments, both debt and equity, into shipping. I'm very pleased to moderate this panel this afternoon. We have an outstanding panel. I think I'll run down, the, rather than try to capture everybody's bios, I'll run down and let each panel member handle their own introductions, just, just briefly. Maybe we'll start at the far end. Uh, good afternoon. I'm Paulo Almeida from Tufts & Oceanic. Um, we manage a bit over a billion dollars in private equity across shipping, and um, we're also known for having a very long-established hedge fund focused on shipping and energy. Hi, I'm Ty Wallach. I'm a partner at Paulson & Co. Uh, we manage about $10 billion under management, including uh, liquid and illiquid strategies. Uh, we help restructure OSG, and I currently serve on the board of both uh, OSG and International Seaways. I am John Michael Radsville from the Brentwood Group. I'm also, also the CEO of Good Bulk, which is a new dry bulk startup, I guess you could call it. Um, we have a family office which focuses on shipping investments as, as well as other stuff, but private equity kind of flavored, and a shipping business which is primarily in dry bulk and a little bit in deep sea tankers. Art Regan with Apollo Management. We're a global asset manager investing out of private equity, credit, and real estate platforms. I have a number of existing investments across our capital structure in shipping. I'm Harry Toll, um, one of the managing partners of Alterna Capital Partners. Uh, we are ship uh, builders, owners, operators, uh, sort of uh, very targeted. But we're a multi-sector uh, private equity firm that invests across a broad range of long-lived uh, low-technology risk 
uh, core operating assets of capital intensive industries. Thank, thank you very much. You know, our, our goal this afternoon is to try to uh, dive in a little bit to what role private equity is actually playing in the shipping industry today, as opposed to where we might have been a couple of years ago or a couple of years before that. I think we'd be happy to have audience participation as much as we can, maybe questions from the floor if we pass through a topic that's particularly interesting. And maybe, maybe to try to galvanize that a little bit. Um, I, I'm wondering, maybe perhaps by a show of hands, how many people in the room have actually done a deal involving private equity? It's a pretty, pretty good number. And how many people in the room, I'm gonna use Harry's, take Harry's advice here. How many, how many people in the room see private equity as a solution to the funding gap in shipping? It's a much, much lower number. I'm not gonna ask the alternative question. Oh, you go ahead. Well, uh, how many people see private equity as part of the problem to the fund for shipping? <laughs> Not a lot of people going on record, actually. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, what, what's happening in the market for private equity capital for shipping and compared to where we were a couple of years ago? Is the market still active? How, how available is what's called traditional private equity, equity investments? Uh, how available is it in the market today? Anybody want to take a shot at that? I'll jump in. I think it's important to dif differentiate between uh, private equity that is institutional money invested with private equity managers and private equity that just comes from individuals who are uh, perhaps uh, looking to invest their own money in, in shipping. Um, from an institutional standpoint, I, I think it's um, there's a high bar. Um, there's a high bar for a number of reasons. First of all, a lot of the uh, managers who, who jumped in over the last five to 10 years uh, are clearly offside and in some cases very much so. So um, I think they're a little shell-shocked uh, by some of their shipping investments. I think, um, you know, more importantly, traditionally, uh, ship owners and, and corporates have looked for lower absolute returns, looking for high single digits, maybe, maybe low double-digit returns, whereas managers of institutional capital um, for, for equity are looking for 20-plus percent returns. And that, that creates a high bar and creates it only creates opportunities for those types of investors when you have situations uh, like banks not willing to lend and or you know, forced sellers um, in, in specific segments that are really under, under duress. The last thing I'd highlight is just I, I think it's a tough industry for private equity get, to get their arms around unless, they're really, uh, unless they really have shipping experts. You know, I, I spend my time looking at a number of different industries. Um, and when you compare shipping to other industries, um, it, it's hard. It's hard to, it's hard. We're, we're analytical people by nature. That's, uh, you'll never find an institutional private equity fund um, that doesn't, you know, put together a book and have an investment committee and have to show in a logical way why, why this investment makes sense. And that means analyzing supply and demand. And in many cases, you know, that's a lot tougher in this industry um, than, uh, than I think other industries. And in, you know, in your, basic manufacturing industry, you have a factory that makes stuff, and if there's a new factory coming online, that'll increase the supply. You know, here you have a depreciating asset, but it's not so clear when that asset is fully depreciated. So everyone can say, well, there's this, this amount of new orders coming on, and we know what the new supply is going to be, and we see this number of ships that are over 20 years old, but you don't know if those ships are really going to be out. Uh, go off offline in the next, you know, one year, two years, or three years. If the market's pretty good, those ships will stay on, and maybe the life will be 25 years instead of 20. And so it it is it's hard to get your arms around the supply side even, and then demand's even tougher, um, depending on what segment you're in. So 
um, you know, I think it makes it, it, it makes it tough and it makes, uh, makes for a high hurdle for, for institutional-based private equity firms to jump in. And as, you know, as I said, that means that they're, I think this point going forward, they're, they're only jumping in when you have uh, situations that are, that are real stressful. Arthur, would you, would you tend to agree with that? Is your perspective similar? Yes, I think it's exactly right that the institutional money is uh, finding it hard to, to invest in shipping in the same way, which would mean a very large check and, and play the long cycle. Um, it just hasn't really worked out as well. But what has come out, and we've heard a lot about already today, is um, a bit of a transition to more credit-oriented funding for shipping. And that means a lower, lower risk profile than institutional equity would take. So that gives rise to this uh, leaseback concept, which has uh, been done successfully a number of times. So I think the industry in general is you know, finding its, its home base with how to fit in alternative equity. Um, maybe it's not pure private equity like Ty was mentioning, but there are a, a wide range of other alternative equity finance available. And I think it's important that the industry understand you have to really understand what the mandate of that funding is and not try and mix um, a square with a, with a hole and, and learn what it is that that particular fund is trying to do and orient your capital structure around that. Sometimes that means conceding a little bit and understanding that your own equity return might take longer or be a little bit lighter than you were expecting, but it is about staying in business. So to the original question, I do think that alternative equity is, is here to stay and will, does today and will continue to play a, an expanding and beneficial role in the growth of the shipping industry. Gary. Yeah. The only thing I'd add to that is, you know, private equity is not for everyone and not everyone is for private equity. Um, but in those cases where we can find a commonality of strategic view, uh, it is capital that is patient and it can allow people to take advantage of unique opportunities. Uh, but I think that there are certain elements to it that it may be, you know, since a lot of people have not done things with private equity, maybe it'd be worthwhile to clarify a little bit. There are different tiers, if you will, by size of private equity investor. And the guys who have very large funds, and uh, mostly they're multi-sector funds, but they'll have a sub-fund that is uh, sector-specific. They have a lot of money, and they tend to do bigger deals. So that drives them in certain directions, and others could speak better for that. Then there are sector-specific funds that only do things like shipping or only do things like air, um, they tend to be somewhat smaller funds. Um, and then there's kind of this medium world that is the one that I live in. And in that medium world, you're, you're basically a rifle shooter. You're looking for very specific ship types, you're looking for very specific opportunity sets, and you're looking for a certain type of partner, a partner that brings certain value add to the equation and money who will stand shoulder to shoulder with you and you can stand shoulder to shoulder with to build something that has potential. But what are the things that we need to see that potential? First is long useful life. One of the things that's attractive about the shipping industry is long useful life. That's also one of the downsides. If we get an oversupply of assets, it's hard to work that off. But for a specific sector that has certain you know, characteristics to it, a co-investor, a, a principal that will put significant capital in, that's kind of the profile that, that when I say it's not for everybody and not everybody's for us, that is what we're looking for and that's when we can play the best role for you. Yeah. yeah I just want to um, 
um, add perhaps um, that the private equity uh, universe looking at shipping today is looking at it in a very different way and it's uh, substantially different players, not exclusively, but substantially different players than three or four years ago. So when a lot of, a lot of the, the audience raised their hands and said private equity is part of the problem, I think there's two, there's two ways that you can think of private equity um, as a problem. Principally, I would say that um, if you define private equity very, very broadly and you include all types of funds, uh, including hedge funds, which um, generally don't invest in private equity, but these are the funds that um, participated in a lot of joint ventures to build too many bulkers three or four years ago, then clearly private equity is part of the problem um, that the dry bulk market is only getting out of um, now. Um, so. The, the strategies employed by those of us here um, at the table and those that um, are no longer here is very different because three or four years ago, there, were, there was very um, little value in most asset classes around the world is what we heard from the institutions that we work with. Um, credit was expensive, property was expensive, energy was expensive, um, and therefore shipping looked like a very attractive place to, uh, to put money but it doesn't take too many new, order, uh, new building orders um, of bulkers to spoil it for, uh, for the market, and that's what we're now working our way, um, what we're working our way out of. Today, I think um, le less institutional money is going into the market, as Art said and, um, and Harry uh, said as well. It's being more selective, um, looking for lower risk deals, and that's very different from what was happening three or four years ago, and I, uh, I agree with, um, uh, Art and Harry, that that's something that's very good for the industry overall. Yeah, um, I think it's everyone hates private equity, especially in, dry, in the dry bulk space because they say private equity overbuilt the industry. And one of the things that really bothers me about this business is everyone says new capital is bad. Why is new capital bad? Because it builds new ships. Well, it's not private equity and it's not new capital's fault that new ships were built. It's actually the managers, the stewards of that capital into shipping that decided to go to order new buildings. For me, private equity or an investor, they just wanted to make a long bet on dry bulk, for example. They didn't care if it was an existing ship or a new building, but the managers of those shipping investments decided that it would be best to take the private equity money they were entrusted with and invest in new buildings. So, it's not private equity's fault in my mind. It's the people who are actually entrusted to invest it in the shipping space for private equity. I would just jump in there. I completely agree, and I don't know why a private equity manager would ever buy a new ship. I mean, all it does is add to the supply. It makes the equation harder. There are ships out there. You can go, you can go buy a ship that's already on the water, and, it's, and you know, theoretically, it's generating cash flow day one. Um, if you're in a, uh, in a reasonable market, and if you're not in a reasonable market, then you probably shouldn't be buying a ship anyway. Yep. So I, I've certainly seen uh, a number of secondhand private equity deals happening, but I've also been reading that there's suddenly no surprise given what's happened in dry bulk over the last few months, a number of new orders. Um, would it be safe to say that private equity is hopefully showing restraint? Anybody have a view as to whether private equity is looking at new buildings in this market? I don't, I don't know of any. I don't know if anyone else on the panel is, is aware of uh, private equity being involved in any of these uh, new builds that we've sort of heard about coming out of China. Maybe if you very broad, again, very broadly define mm -hmm. um, private equity and there's some hedge fund in some second tier city 
that didn't know what happened to people who ordered dry bulk, dry bulk was three or four years ago. Well, now things agreed as trade, that's possible, but I'm not aware of it. So, well, this sounds, sounds like some progress then. And it sounds like what we're hearing so far is that there's a new emphasis on who the partners are and what, what the managing the risk is really all about and uh, you know, how do we lower risk. When you're evaluating partners, what, what does private equity look for? Harry, you, you said that it, the counterparty really matters. The counterparty, well, let me, let me sort of maybe answer the question a little differently. What is it that we're looking for? We are looking for current yield and potential upside. So we're looking for an entry price that is supported or nearly supported by current uh, cash flow availability from operation of the vessel. And with that cash flow, looking at the cycle, being able to say we're being paid to wait. None of us, I don't think anybody in this room would claim that they know when the cycle is going to turn up or down. Uh, but if you can get paid to wait, uh, that's something that is one of the critical factors. But there are things that we also want to avoid. One of the things we want to avoid is uncertainty on technical matters. You know, some of the other, uh, some of the other panels were talking earlier this morning about uh, uh, ballast water treatment and uh, emissions control systems and things like that. Uh, one of the phrases, and I thought it was very telling, that was used to describe those things is that they're going to be growing pains. Uh, if there's one thing we hate, it's growing pains of technology because somebody has to pay for it and then somebody changes their mind, a regulator or somebody else, and says that's not good enough or we want it done differently. And that's burned money and you never recover it. So one of the things that is making private equity more hesitant now, I think, in the shipping space is technical uncertainty. The other is operational unreliability or reliability. We're looking for reliability, which is, you know, and maybe I'm part of the problem, but all but three of our ships are new built. And uh, we built them because we wanted to control the process and we wanted to be sure that the ships that we came up with were spec'd the way our customers would want them, uh, particularly in the tanker space. Uh, so, so, you know, we want operational reliability. We want to avoid technical uncertainty. And if, if when you take this whole set of sieves, you know, the things that match us and match you uh, and are the things that we want to avoid and you want to avoid and you pour water in the top of it, not very much drips out the bottom. But what does drip out the bottom is generally very attractive and the reason we're here. Uh, so if, if we can find that partner, we find the space for this rifle shotting choice of asset, that's the ingredients to bake the cake. How do you go about that? How do you diligence technical? capability and, and avoid uncertainty? Well, the starting point for us is we're, we're technical guys. I'm an engineer by background. Um, I'm a former naval officer, did a lot of engineering stuff. I built ships. Um, so we already know what kind of ships we think are the right kind of ships we want, and we also have a very strong opinion as to the technicals. Um, what we're looking for is somebody who agrees with us. We don't want somebody to tell us that they agree with us. We want them to come to us and say, this is what we think we should do, and that's a match. So we like to talk to lots of people. And uh, it has worked out. You know, in some cases, it's worked out absolutely famously. Uh, that's the one other thing I would say is if, if whoever the private equity group is can bring some real hands-on technical support and, and you know, engineering-related sort of support, both in construction, design, all the rest of the operating areas, uh, I think that's a value add. So that's what we're looking for, to find people we can do those kinds of deals with. So, so that, that seems like it lends itself particularly to the new building context or the start from scratch kind of project. Well, you know, what, one of the things we're looking at now is buying used ships, and I would, I'll use a phrase I haven't used before just because I made it up, and that's respecking them. 
um, doing things to them that meet our criteria. In the tanker space, that might be coatings. Uh, it might be other kinds of technical improvements. So, um, you know, we're looking at that being the shortest path. Uh, I would also say that I think everybody here would agree that new building has a downside, and that's the delay it takes to build the ship from a return perspective that really hurts us. So, you know, we're looking at respecing ships now. So th this is probably a, a more in-depth technical approach than a lot of other investors may have the, the resources or, or uh, you know, perspective to take. W what about you know, more traditional approaches just to purchasing equity or doing a joint venture? H how do you manage the, the kind of technical risk if you don't have the expertise that perhaps Alterna does? I think you're looking for two things on both sides of the equation, but as a private equity or as a shipping investor, what you want from your strategic partner are transparency and alignment, and everything else falls into place. Arthur, how do you, how do you look at transparency issues? Is it How do you know when you're, you're comfortable with your partner from that perspective? Well, so when you ask the question, what is what would private equity uh, enjoy about a joint venture, around the concept of transparency is, is um, diligence in protecting the investment, and now that sounds simple and easy to say, but I think the, the worst thing you can hear in an investment committee is, you know, what did we miss type of thing. So that's always after the fact comment. So I think one of the, the concepts around joint venture discussions is understanding what's the mentality of that particular industry partner. Does he think ahead? Does he have a bandwidth of indicators that would tell him from his experience that things are not going well and communicate that to the equity so the equity can then des decide, should we be taking certain proactive measures to prevent that, well, I'm gonna say the, the financial disaster, but also obviously that question in the investment committee, what did we miss? So proactivity is something that I think is is maybe been missed in the concept of joint venture with equity. They, um, protect um, an industry entity might find an equity source and then kind of think they're handing it over, but it's really not supposed to be that way. It is supposed to be a partnership where the individual expertise of a career in the industry is given to the equity partner and shared on a regular basis. Uh, it's impossible for most of the private equity professionals who are managing a wide range of investments to actually understand on a daily basis like the operator should. So I think sharing that expertise in a much more proactive way uh, would be one of the things and is one of the things we look for in joint venture partners. That's, that's very interesting. Paulo, would you, how do you approach this, these kinds of issues with potential, potential transactions? Well, we, we actually handle um, nearly all of the um, technical matters in-house now, which is, is a change in strategy that we've had over the past three years or so. So um, we actually have more people on the technical and operational supervision of our technical managers than we actually have as investment professionals. Not many more, but actually we do have more guys on the technical side. So we, tr we decided to do that in-house. That has been particularly important over the past three years, especially in dry bulk where we do have some exposure, where your cash flow to the ship after OPEX may be $1,000 or $1,500 a day, but if you can save $750 a day, which is not that difficult actually, versus benchmark figures in terms of OPEX uh, and save a lot of money on dry dockings, it makes a huge difference to how much yield you're getting to your vessel. Um, say three or 4% if you're just in the market to closer to 10% if you're actually running the ships as well, as well as possible. 
but of course that does require um, very good communication between our guys and trust with the underlying managers, uh, at least one of which is in the audience um, here today. So that's very, uh, that's, that's very, very important. And we've been told, um, possibly by one of the people here in the audience today, that, that we're very difficult to work for. But overall, but overall, it creates a very good relationship of trust. So, so it really seems that the quality of management and real perspective and understanding about how management occurs, what frankly are the contractual obligations to provide certain transparency with respect to, to management? You can't contract these things, basically. I mean, the, there's, there's, uh, there's a standard, like everything else in shipping, there's a standard contract, just like there's a standard contract for a tanker time charter or a, or a bare boat charter, there's a standard contract for a ship management agreement, which you can negotiate, but you, you just never can capture all the stuff that you want to capture in terms of how to communicate what's important, what may, not, what may be important in the future that's not important today. A lot of it just comes down to having a good relationship and, and line of communication and transparency, as has been pointed out before, between the manager and the, uh, and the equity. But I, I can tell you we often push very hard on exactly these points in that documentation process, and we often hear back, you know, we, we can't accept these provisions because we, we prefer the standard ship in 2009 or something to that effect. And we often have ferocious discussions about these points, trying to achieve the kind of transparency that we think our clients are, are looking for. But I think at the end of the day, putting the legal documentation aside, the exercise of going through that discussion probably creates some new level of understanding Which between the parties. Which, one or two years down the road, you'll see that, that the reception that you get to something like that has evolved. And we, we've seen that in a lot of ways. We've seen that with with earnouts, which is something that's very typical in, um, in profit sharing and other things that are very typical in private equity structures that in shipping five, six years ago were barely existent, that now we're seeing the reception to these types of structures to align interests that are, that are um, it's, it's becoming much more commonplace to do so. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Obviously, you can't contract all this. Um, we as investors have to trust the management teams we work with. Um, I would certainly never uh, even dream of telling uh, one of our managers how to how to operate and manage the ships um, that they manage. Um, having said that, the capital allocation discussion is a different question, and I do think that is probably better left uh, to the board if it's a public company or, uh, or even a private company or to, to the owners uh, of a private company. And, and there you just have to be on, on the same page. And there are, uh, you know, for us that page means uh, means putting money into situations where if you're wrong in your thesis, you still have time to be right. Um, you know, we always, in, in cyclical industries, um, you know, you can, always, you can always say you were never wrong, you were just early, but if you're, um, you know, if you run out of time, then you're wrong. And so if you're over levered and that debt comes due or you have covenants, uh, then you're, and you don't have a chance to make, to, to, uh, make the next cyclical peak, that, then you're wrong. If you're buying, uh, you know, 18-year-old ships and you don't have enough time left for those ships to, uh, to have a couple good years, uh, then you're wrong. So, you know, while we wouldn't buy new ships, you know, we certainly buy ships that, that might have uh, at least a 10-year life left um, because that's probably longer than any, um, you know, than any financing you're going to get. And we certainly uh, wouldn't advocate putting a lot of leverage on any cyclical, uh, you know, on a business in any cyclical industry, uh, in this one in particular. Yeah, I, I sorry, I just couldn't agree more. 
Um, it's no one really knows when the turn in our markets are coming. We're in a super cyclical industry. They do come. We just can't see it. So you've really got to keep the lowest cost of capital, lowest leverage, lowest um, GNA you can possibly have to be able to sail through and have the best IRR, for lack of a better expression, um, when you get there. So it's 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 uh, bank leverage or call it private equity leverage if you want. Keep that very low and keep your operational leverage low as well. So you don't want too many ships and you don't want too many ships that don't last a long time, as Ty says. Well, on that question of returns and IRR, what, what kind of IRRs are realistic for owners to need to offer to get a deal done? Um, I'll turn it around. I think that any owner that takes a structured financing that's over, call it a thousand basis points, or over 10% in today's zero interest rate environment, so a thousand basis points over what a bank's going to give you, is by definition, is for me, it, it's the almost the final nail in your coffin as an operator, um, especially when you consider that over the years, shipping is really a single digit return. So if you're going to take double digit leverage, you better hope that the turn is right around the corner, otherwise you're finished. Well, so, so what's, I mean, that, this is the, the fundamental thing. I mean, if, yeah. if shipping is, is single digit return across cycles, what, what keeps private equity in the game? They're masters of the universe. They can pick the entry point and the exit point better than anyone else. So, i.e., it's single digits over the, the lifetime of, this, of, the, of this, the asset, but if you enter and exit well, you can have double digits, sometimes even triple digit returns. Correct. That's really the thing. And I would ask the question by saying, what return do the ship owners in the room want? And that's one of the principal discussions we have to have to determine if we're going to be good partners. Uh, you just said it, and said it precisely, in my view, correctly, which is if you go from top of cycle to top of cycle or bottom to bottom, you're going to end up with a single-digit return. We're not, none of us are here to do that. We're all here to get that as current yield, that single-digit return as current yield. But we want a position to take advantage of a recovery of a cycle. Um, in doing that, if there are enough people who are willing and want to try to do that, we extend the downturn of the cycle because you have more and more people taking positions that can add to the supply side. So it's, there's an art to this, and this is the art of the industry. And that's why, in my humble opinion, you can't do this in large chunks. You know, maybe you can do pump the companies and restructure them in large chunks or do things like that, but actually to do the kind of return that we're talking about tends to be smaller transactions, limited numbers of ships, maybe a mix of a couple of new builds with a couple of recent builds or resales. Um, and that's the ingredients for the cake. If you find it, you do it. If you can't find it, in our case, because we're a multi-sector fund, we go do it somewhere else because there are other capital industries that have similar dynamics, just not as extreme as shipping. But we like shipping. It's been a big part of my career. We've had some real successes. Uh, when you do this, uh, we had one transaction early in our, our lives where basically all the cylinders uh, fired and uh, we ended up with a tremendous investment. Um, this industry has that potential. So that's why we're here. So, so, but what kind of returns are we are we really talking about? I mean, and has has the bar increased or decreased from say when private equity really came into shipping a number of years back? The um, when we use the term alternative 
equity, I think we need to be clear what particular type of money we're talking about. As Ty was mentioning in the, in the onset, that uh, you know, in institutional private equity is looking for a much higher return than single digit. They're looking for 20% plus um, and, and, and will drive towards that number. If you realistically think that your modeling and your, your forecasting is only going to be an 8% return, that's not going to work. So um, I, I know hearing what Harry was mentioning, what do the ship owners want? It, it is a, a project forecast. And then once you know what you think you can realistically earn, then you have to go find the capital that that's going to be satisfactory. So alternative equity does mean a wide range of different funding sources that have their own different cost of capital. So there is capital that can work in shipping. It's just not all equity and private equity, institutional private equity, it's, it's harder. But there are many other sources that, as I mentioned earlier, are more credit-oriented where it can work, and that's probably in the 8 to 12 percent range, I would say, is probably much more realistic. And starting with, as Harry mentioned, like an 8 to 10 percent running yield, and then you have your over five years, you're recovering a lot of the investment through cash flows, and then you can take a look uh, where you are in the asset, and maybe that bumps it up or brings it down, and you hang it in, you stay in a little bit longer. So. Being realistic on the onset and matching the cost of capital with what you think really the industry and the investment's going to bear, uh, and then see where it goes. And that's very sector specific, too. I mean, if you look at larger ships, they tend to have longer contracts associated with them, which tend to have lower return associated with them, but also lower risk. So I think Art's point that you, you find the capital that's tailored to what it is you want to do is the right answer. Um, just to give you, try to give you an answer on the range, which is not going to help at all, is that that the low end of what these kinds of deals have produced is in the mid to lower single digits. That's something that didn't work out the way you wanted it to, <clears throat> but you, but that does presume a longer lived asset. So at least you get out by the cycle. Uh, at the top end, it can be 40%. So, so what is expected? I think in order to to attract real private equity, you're going to need to be 15 or north. Otherwise, you're not, not going to have the original conversation, probably. Paulo, what do you, what do you say? Is that, would you agree with that? Um, what, it, what Harry said is completely right. It's a huge range of outcomes, and there's a huge range even at, when you underwrite a deal. Um, even over a five to seven year period, you're going to have a huge range of, of outcomes. And we've certainly seen cases um, uh, even ex ante where the returns could be 2% or 40%, as, as Harry said. In general, though, what we're looking at now is that we think that deals um, today should get somewhere closer to what Art was talking about, about 8 to 12%, if you don't have a very positive view on residual values. Now, um, the past, most of the past four years, we've had very significant deflation in ship prices generally, and that's mostly been driven by shipyard prices uh, being deflationary. I think we're now coming out of that period. I think it's probably optimistic to, to bake in too much of an um, asset value increase, but it's very plausible that we'll see 10 or 15 percent um, asset value increases before depreciation. Um, but you really shouldn't be expecting anything in shipping unless you do think you're a master of the universe or magician. Um, very different over a reasonable period, much different than 8 to 12 percent unlevered because that's what the return in the, in, in the industry is over long term. Okay. 
We're actually inside of a minute already, so I really I, Can I throw one more point on, just real quick? Sorry. Yes. Go ahead. And that is one more point to consider when you're thinking about private equity is the exit. The private equity firm is patient capital. It can run five years, six years, seven, ten years. But the private equity firm is going to exit at some point. So an alignment of interest on what how the exit is going to be accomplished is really important. So I apologize. Well, and, and that's a key point as well. I just wanted to see if there was any burning questions from the audience because this, this half hour went by extremely quickly. There's one right here in front. We'll repeat. Yeah. To the extent that geographies um, of a preference or where you're seeing potential uh, interesting return would be interesting. Great question. We've done deals in Jones Act. We've done deals uh, in my prior life. I, I was at City for a long time uh, in Australia on cabotage uh, new build uh, for Shell. Uh, and but most of our invest investments are you know pretty generic international investments. Uh, I think that the more specialized the market, the more upside potential you have. Uh, and also the higher the risk of, so there's a commensurate trade that has to go on there. Um, you know, part of it is being qualified to do business in that, in that market. What I'll say generically, a little more generically, is barriers to entry can be a major plus. You know, there's more barriers to entry in the tanker space than there are in the dry bulk space in some sectors. You know, these are, these are you know, different by ship sizes and all the rest of it. But a little bit of barrier to entry is a good thing. We heard at lunch about uh, LPG. Uh, not everybody's going to go out and build an LPG tanker. Why? Because it's technically challenging, and the customer base that you're going to be working for won't accept, you know, ships from just anybody. That's a plus, and that can generate higher return. If if your question was about um, demand of the commodity, or it was about finance, uh, geographic diversity of finance, and we've seen that um, with the rise in Asian capital coming and, and uh, Oslo market has been great. It's been, uh, it's been a, a very easily accessible and a great find for many companies that couldn't find the right capital in the, in the U.S. market. So the geographic diversity of capital to support shipping is an enormous benefit to, to the industry and I hope it continues to kind of circle around so we have an, enough capital to keep going. So long as it doesn't build too many new ships. <laughs> Amen. Well, I think I'm getting the signal. Thank you very much, everybody, for participating, and thank you very much. Yeah.